Welcome back, Creator Cast Nation. We have a very special episode this week. Uh, the first reason being that Cody is no longer here. From here on out, it's going to be Creator Cast with Chris. And honestly, that just rolls off the tongue much better. Just kidding, he'll probably be back next week. Uh, we just couldn't find a good time to interview Ari and make this work. The second reason that this episode is special is because we're interviewing Ari W. Uh, he is a branding, coaching, and design expert who's been doing design for over 30 years. That's longer than I've been alive. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and jump straight into that. Let's go ahead and hop in. Enjoy this episode, guys. Hey, guys, it's Chris Reisner again. Uh, before we jumped in, I wanted to apologize for the quality of my audio during this podcast. Uh, we're using an online software, you know, doing a voice phone call over the internet, and sometimes the it just doesn't work out, and my quality was not that good. His quality sounds amazing, and he definitely still drops a lot of really good knowledge if you're interested in design or just inspiration or business. You know, he's got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge that he drops during this podcast, so you should definitely still, you know, hang in and keep listening. Uh, with that being said, let's just go ahead and hop in. We have Ari Weinstein on the podcast with us today. Uh, how's it going? Hello, Chris. It's going great. It's a pleasure to be on CreatorCast. Thanks for having me. No problem. I'm very excited. Uh, for those that don't know who you are or what you do, could you kind of give us a quick uh, synopsis? Sure. As, as far as the, the, our digital audience is concerned, I am R-E-W, that's spelled A-R-I-W. Uh, you can find me at R-E-W.com, and I do branding, coaching, and design. I've been a graphic designer who's operated my business online for, well, over three decades, let's put it that way. And uh, I restarted my business full-time just a couple of years ago after running it as a side gig for, for a few years, and I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that's awesome. Three decades. Man, that's longer than I've been alive. Yeah, that's that's what got me a four-letter domain, right? A-R-I-W is, is a four-letter domain, and I, I registered my domain, I think it was in 1989. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, I've, I've been online for, for quite some time. <laughs> uh, how did you get started with design? Well, I actually went to college for, for an art degree, and uh, while learning, and I was always interested in, I was primarily interested in lettering back then. I was doing a lot of calligraphy and lettering. And even back in high school, friends started paying me to, to do lettering. Uh, for example, just to write their names in their books kind of in a fancy way. So I decided to get serious about that in college and pursued an art degree. And while learning to draw and paint and sculpt and all the other things that, that New York artists learned to do in, at a good art school, uh, I, I, I really got drawn to graphic design. I, I had always thought of architecture or some other field that would involve a little bit of technology. I was also interested in tech. Uh, and I was drawn to graphic design, and that's what I ended up doing. I ended up actually specializing in, in book design and publishing, and I became an early user of desktop publishing software at, at at my at uh, three different jobs, um, so yeah, that that's how I got into it, and I, I never really stopped. Okay, wow. Did you so when you first started, were you using uh, computers and the internet and everything? 
or was it all by like hand? I was an early computer user. Even back in high school, my brother and I, we had an IBM PC Junior, which is one of the first, you know, home computers that you could buy. It wasn't one of the better ones, <laughs> but, but it was well known. The IBM PC Junior, the, the, the peanut, I think they called it, uh, was, you know, a computer that was aimed at, you know, aimed at ordinary people, aimed at um, people who, who just wanted a computer in their home and wanted to learn programming. But when I started my graphic design career, I was very much old school doing what's called paste up work. Um, so uh, the equipment needed to, to actually, you know, produce type was all, was, was just starting to become digital, but it was still based on film. So you were still creating, you know, film for, for everything, for what, what were called galleys of, of type. And you were, you know, cutting out the, the film and, and pasting it onto a board and, and lining everything up with rulers and, and T-squares. And, um, but, but gradually, the world was transitioning to digital technology. That's when the desktop revolution was just getting started. Adobe had come out with PostScript and Apple had come out both with a computer that could show you on screen what something would look like when it was printed uh, that was revolutionary, and they came out with a laser printer. Now, this was expensive tech back then, but businesses could afford it and were starting to adopt it. So, uh, so I was right. I was right there at the beginning of the desktop publishing revolution. I actually have used uh, version one of Photoshop, version one of Illustrator. So, oh, yeah, wow. it's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. That's really cool, actually. Like, uh, being able to see kind of the changes from when it started. And, yes. you know, whenever you, like, first started, did you think it was going to be essentially the way it is now? Because it seems like even in the last, like, decade, it has, like, technology as a whole has drastically changed. Oh, yes. What I don't think any of us back, even back then, envisioned the power that we would hold in our hands, you know, with mobile technology, and devices like smartphones and tablets, and in particular the good ones aimed at, at creators like us, you know, an, an iPad Pro. I know you're an iPad Pro user, and, and I love mine. Yeah. These are really truly amazing. I've always wanted that type of technology um, because I love the idea of directly drawing, sketching, or doodling with digital tools. You know, doing the artwork without having to erase, without having to, you know, crumple up the paper and start over again, right? Um, yeah, it's a lot more, like, it's easier to iterate whenever you can just, uh, you know, drag another copy out or, you know, it's a lot quicker than actually restarting a design completely from scratch. Exactly. And that, that ease of use coupled now with, the ease of access we have to so many inspirational images and and artwork and photos and video that's really what what got me thinking about about our topic today about you know whether we're overstimulated so yeah 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 so i know you had uh we both have a bunch of stuff to talk about with inspiration but yes. with your branding and coaching background, I did have just a few uh, questions uh, kind of in that, that realm before we go to inspiration. Sure. 
Um, when we first started talking, I know you mentioned that your expertise was helping creators talk to non-creators. Yes. What are you seeing creators struggling with most? Well, I think creators, and I include myself in this category, I'm not casting aspersions on any creators, but I'm trying to learn from my own difficult experience. I think we're very um, sometimes attached to what it is that we do. And because, you know, it, it, there's, there's a tremendous amount of ourselves that we pour into our work, right? You know, we, we, yeah. we create because we're driven to create. And that comes from such a deep place within. And a lot of people in the business world, they're just doing what they do. You know, for example, I worked on Wall Street. And a, a lot of people on Wall Street are working there because they were just good at math. And someone said, oh, you're good at math? Here's, here's a way to make money. You know, come, come work for us. Come work for my bank. Come work for my, you know, for my brokerage. And, you know, they're not, they're passionate about it, but not in the same way as necessarily as creators are passionate about their work. They, they're not so personally attached to it. So the attachment is something that I see that, you know, we take, and again, I'm using myself as, as the example here. I, I used to take criticism really, really hard. It just kind of, have you ever had that feeling where someone says something about your work and it just puts a knot in your stomach? Like that still happens to me. That still happens to me. <laughs> yeah. And that, isn't that, it's just such a tough thing to deal with. And it took me a long time to learn to treat things more as a professional and with less of a personal investment to sort of detach. It's something that's easier said than done. And that's definitely one of the things when I realized that I could explain this and talk about it and help people understand what it is that they're feeling and what that knot is and how can they, how they can unravel that knot. I was like, oh yeah, I can, I think I'd like to, I think I'd like to use this, this knowledge to help other people. Um, and again, speaking from just firsthand experience, I was able to move my career from purely a creative career into an adjacent field, which was the technology field, and become really successful at technology, and later in finance, and after that in operations. So I sort of ended up, and then I came back full circle back to being a creator, which I really love. But having all those other skills and all that exposure to all the other parts of the business world, that helped me a lot. That, that helped me negotiate between parties who were creative on the one side, like a branding agency and very non-creative on the other side, just, you know, business people, you know, the, the people sitting there going, wait, you want us to do what with the brand and what is the problem with our brand name or you know, what is the issue with this image? And people who just had no, you know, had, had, were really in a way clueless. And I was, able to, I was able to negotiate that and help parties come together and, and, and reach deals on, on branding. So that, was, so that was a lot of fun and it taught me a lot of what I know today about branding but it also just taught me these negotiation skills and these mediation skills. Yeah, negotiating is definitely, I think for like almost everybody, negotiating is a hard thing to do. But then whenever you throw in that, uh, that divide between creative and, you know, finance or business, that just makes it even harder because it's hard to bridge that. Yes, 
It, it definitely is. And I'm not pretending that my journey from the creative into the technical and later into the financial fields were easy because I struggled at each juncture to adapt. But yeah. I, really tried to, I really tried to remember what it is that helped me ultimately succeed. You know, I succeeded in being, I succeeded in moving from, you know, from a product services area where I was doing creative work into a procurement area, uh, basically a finance area where I was doing negotiating and contracts and doing what I described a moment ago, mediating between creatives and non-creatives. Um, and I try to remember w the lessons that I learned during those times. So I I'll tell you an example, if, if I may. Yeah, go for it. One thing that really stuck with me is I had a boss who was super, super tough. When, when I migrated from doing publishing, uh, so I was still doing creative work. I had basically creative people working for me, um, do, creating publications uh, for, for my company. And they moved us into this procurement area. And my boss was a, a really tough guy. He, he, he was tough but fair, but tough. And I, exp I think both myself and other people who had joined his team, it was kind of a new group, expressed a lot of discomfort in, in you know, being tough on our suppliers. And he said, look, guys, when you are here acting on behalf of the company, it's like you're acting, right? It, it, it's, like, it's like actors in, in, in a movie or a play. You just have to put on this persona and you have to just step out of your skin or jump out of your skin, so to speak, and be tough. It's your, we're paying you to be tough. So don't take it personally. Don't internalize it. Just pretend that this is, this is the role you're playing and do that. And that turned out to be really good advice. This idea that you should step out of yourself and just treat it as, oh, well, this is the expectation. And the, the way to meet the expectation is to, to hold the line and make sure, uh, you know, and this was during the, the, this was actually during the financial crisis, right? So we really did have to be tough on, on yeah. vendors and, and not allow us to get into any bad deals. But it was uncomfortable, especially for people who didn't have any kind of a business background or didn't have, you know, who were more on, on the creative side or, or doing something else. So it was helpful that he said, look, just, you know, play act in a way in order to, to achieve your, your objective. And that was a really, that was something that really stuck with me. And I've encountered it since my, my current sales coach said something similar. He says, one of the things he coaches people on is how to close a, a client. You know, when you're talking to a client, it's like, how do you get them to close? He says, well, you remember at some point in the conversation, you have to put on your cashier's hat and say, okay, this is what the project's going to cost. Right? Yeah. So that idea of putting on a hat or putting on a persona, that's something, I, just that idea, I think is something a lot of creative people can relate to because certainly we're, we're in the arts and we, you know, we may ourselves be actors or, or know people who act. So if you think about that for a moment, it's like, oh, yeah, by acting the part of the cashier, by acting the part of the negotiator, I can better negotiate. And we all know that good acting means you, you know, you believe in what it is you're doing at that moment. So and that all ties back to, to coaching. And that, that's what coaching is about, you know, watching that what makes... you do and, and helping you giving you techniques and, and little tips and tricks like this to help you do it better. 
yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Because, uh, yeah, like, whenever you're in that meeting and then getting to the money part, it always seems like there's a uh, shift in the air almost. But being able to kind of like step aside from yourself to just do it would definitely be helpful. Like that's exactly. And the first step is to do what you just did, Chris, is to notice that the moment you know, you know, the, the, the difficulty is not so much in noticing. It's like, okay, I've noticed that the tone has shifted or that I need to behave differently, but what do I do exactly? Or how do I do that? And it, it turns out, you know, coaches can help you with that. So, um, you know, my, my coach role played with me, right? My sales coach, he said, okay, well, you know, walk me through a sale, Ari, show, show me how you'll, how, how you'll close me. And it turns out when you practice these things and coaches help people practice, that's part of what we get paid for. Um, that really helps. That's yeah. That, uh, role playing is always so hard at first too. It is exactly. It makes us uncomfortable. It yeah. makes us uncomfortable. And now as a certified coach, I understand the neurological basis for why you feel uncomfortable. So, if you're, <laughs> right. So if you're, if you're scientifically curious or just want to be reassured that, Hey, it's okay. It's, you know, it's not you. This is actually, your brain is actually doing what it's supposed to when, when it's making you feel uncomfortable and there's an explanation why that's part of what a coach, that's what a coach can gift to, to their, to their client is that knowledge. It's like, Oh, guess what? There's, you know, we actually understand the mechanism by which this happens and here's how to deal with it. There is something I wanted to add, but I just totally blanked on it. <laughs> if you remember it, you could always ask, ask again. Yeah, I'll probably ask it a little bit later because it'll click like in 20 minutes. Um, so going from kind of shifting gears from that to the inspiration topic. Me and Cody actually talked about inspiration uh, a couple podcasts ago, but that was more so like where we got our inspiration from uh, and kind of like the creators that we were watching and listening to. Uh, who, who are you watching and listening to? So I love that episode, by the way, right? It was episode nine you guys actually mentioned a number of really inspiring people. You mentioned Elon Musk. You actually talked about Albert Einstein. Um, and you, you mentioned some other people that I, I could relate to, uh, even like on, on YouTube, right? The lockpicking lawyer. And you each mentioned the, the musical artists that you follow, right? And that's definitely a way to, to inspire ourselves, right? To listen to music and, and feel uplifted or, or, you know, feel that, that emotion that, that music can impart to us, can share with us. So I really loved that episode. And I was thinking about, yeah. gee, what can, what can we do internally to be inspired? In terms of the people who inspire me, you know, so lettering. Today I'm following like Ian Barnard, uh, you know, because his, his lettering videos are so great. And he's, you know, and he's on Instagram and on, I don't know if he's on YouTube, but he's on Skillshare. And, um, you know, I follow people like Susanna Licko from Emigre Type because she's doing all kinds of unusual things with that abstract patterns and, and even abstract, you know, 3D stuff, which is kind of amazing, right? Um, not to mention that she's an incredible type designer. And over the years, I've just been inspired by so many uh, lettering artists, calligraphers, 
um, and other graphic artists. I, I actually had the privilege of meeting Milton Glaser and, and, you know, and he's, he's an inspiration certainly. So yeah, I mean, it's, the, the list is really long. <laughs> the list is really long. That was actually, so that was actually kind of what I was going to ask earlier. I was going to see if you were still uh, doing calligraphy and lettering, like whenever you started, if you still followed that and did that. I do it a little bit, but it's a much smaller part of my, part of my job these days um, because I deal a lot with typography and, and almost all clients want their stuff digitally. So I still do yeah. and scribble and, and, you know, make, flourished letters um but it's not my main thing i don't consider myself mainly to be a lettering artist anymore so i'm not doing that but i'd love to go back to it which is why i'm taking i, I took one of ian's classes and i'm i'm taking some other classes and you know like 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 all of us you know i you know you you follow the people who are out there and and just good at getting their content out there right like draplin and, and others you know who've oh, been I love draplin. right yeah and you know von glitchka and um, people like that. So yeah, and there's so there are just so many. It's it's yeah, you know, it's overwhelming. Especially now with Instagram, there's so many. Uh, it's so easy to put your work out there. So it's even like, you, I mean, you can become completely famous on Instagram, and now you yes. can get like an agency or something. So yes, and and some and some of the people who inspire me are not are not big influencers. You know, I follow a pattern artist. Her name is Natalia Cody, K-O-D-I. Um, and she's on Instagram and she's on Facebook and she's maybe not extreme. You know, she's not some big influencer with like a million followers like, you know, Draplin. But yeah. the work is so beautiful and and it's it's so different. And it's something I aspire to. Like, you know, I, I learned some principles of pattern making from her and I ended up recommending her to another artist. And it, it's... You know, so sometimes the people who inspire us are not so much famous, but there's something about their art that speaks to us, right? And and we follow them, you know. Um, That's very true. Yeah. You know, I, I think joy in craftsmanship comes across, you know, whether you're a big influencer or not, your, your joy can come across. You know, I follow, another fellow I follow, his name is Tucker Gachot, He's a leather worker. He makes leather goods. He's he's based in Connecticut. Um, his his Instagram is K and H Leather or K and H Leatherworks. I forget which, but K and H, and and right. So the letter K and the letter H, not K and H, but K and <laughs> okay. <laughs> K apostrophe K uh, ampersand H. <laughs> I'm tongue tied, uh, and. You know, just looking at his stitching, right, and looking at the choice of materials that he makes, and, you know, the leather has different textures and different finishes, and, you know, it, it's, it's just fascinating. It's not something that I do, but it's something I appreciate, and that's a way to be inspired, is to look at something that's really completely outside of ourselves, right? And, and you and Cody talked about that, so I, I, like I said, I love that part of the, I, I love that part of your discussion. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I've actually been, so Peter McKinnon just did a video with a leather worker and I've kind of gone down that rabbit hole recently too. Right. Yeah. There you go. It's, it's, I mean, the work that they were doing was beautiful and leather in general. I love leather. 
Yes. It's just such a beautiful like material and like being like seeing them working with their hands. I don't know. I wish I wish there was an easier way to get into leather. There's so many tools involved. Yes, uh, yes. That'd be a lot of fun. That's kind of a side side note. Um, have you heard of Stefan Kunz? K-U-N-Z is his last name. I don't think so. Stefan Kunz, K-U-N-Z. Lettering. I'll definitely look him up. I love discovering new artists and, and I am all the time. Right. I mean, I do follow, I do follow some hash, some appropriate hashtags on, uh, on Instagram, like italics. <laughs> that was my specialty was italic calligraphy. So of course I follow the italics hashtags on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> he was the uh, first kind of lettering person that I followed and he's done some really cool, like, uh, like he did lettering on the side of a Ford Mustang. Oh, that's awesome. Ford UK, and then he's done like huge murals with lettering. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. Lettering is enjoying a bit of a revival and brush lettering. Um, you know, I was just looking over, I just added a book to my Amazon cart that uh, the Aideen Barnard recommended. He's like, oh, here's a book that inspires me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pick that up. <laughs> so, yeah, there's kind of a new, a new aesthetic that's been introduced just in the last few years into hand lettering and, and a revival in, in, you know, the desire for hand lettering. Um, and certainly, you know, as, as creators, you know, as a branding guy, when it comes to logos, there, there's a huge school of thought that believes that you shouldn't just take stock lettering or stock, stock type for a logo. You, you really want to customize the lettering, you know, for, for the logo, for the mark, for the brand. Uh, and there's, there's definitely something to that. Yeah, you can, yeah, like having the custom fonts, you can almost tell, like, Nike's font is a pretty basic, I mean, it's a Futura and Helvetica uh, mashup, essentially. Right. But yet, when you see it, you can still, like, it, it's familiar, but you can still tell that it's different. Yes, we've, we've become familiar with the proportions of the word and with the particular angle at which they, right. you know, they, they can't the letters and... Yeah, all of those things, even those subtle things, um, help make the brand recognizable and unique. There's nothing exactly like it. Uh, you mentioned a book earlier. Have you read Still Like an Artist? Because I was going to ask you about it. Yes. With the yes, yes. thoughts. I love that book. Yeah, I, I like that book a lot. Um, I always believed in a similar concept in part because one of my best uh, graphic design professors back in college, a fellow named Marvin Hoshino, uh, taught us that designers don't design, we redesign. And I, I loved learning that lesson because it, in some ways it took the pressure off. It's like, well, you know, you don't have to come up with something new. In most cases, you're just redesigning. Of course, you know, when a client comes to you and they have absolutely, you know, nothing, you know, zero <laughs> visuals to show you and zero idea. They're just like, well, this is the name I came up with. I have no idea what I want it to look like. And you go, okay, <laughs> where do I start? And that's, that's one of those, that, those types of situations over the years got me thinking about, gee, how do I get inspired? You know, how do I, what's going to spark my, you know, what's going to spark the creativity here? And, you know, different artists have different approaches. Someone like, uh, you know, like Von, Von Glitchko will tell you, well, look, just start sketching, you know, start doing thumbnails, right? 
um, step away from the computer, take a pen and paper, a pencil and paper, and just start sketching and, you know, force yourself to, to do, you know, to come up with, you know, 50 thumbnails or 20 thumbnails or whatever. Um, and that, that can, that can certainly work, but you can still feel stuck. And that, that's, that's why the topic of inspiration has always interested me. Um, and getting inspired in particular for, for a project, right? Because at the end of the day, the client's waiting for something. It's like, well, what, you know, can you show me something? What do you have? You know, what yeah. do you come up with? And you go like, uh, yeah, no, I'm drawing a blank here, which is <laughs> the worst feeling a creative could have, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, so exactly what do you show? And I also find that people who are not so not visual necessarily and, 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 you know, don't, don't have any idea going in as to what something might look like or what their vision is for their brand. They appreciate you having words to describe your thought process. That's what I found. Right. It's like, well, what is your thought process? How do you, how did you come up with this? How did you, you know, and I, I find that, I find that I like that part of the process, trying to sort of, you know, have some log of my thoughts, right? Some, some record of what was I thinking when I came up with that, uh, which is why one of my tips for, for inspiration is, is to journal, right? Uh, you know, keep, keep a journal. Um, and your journal can be mostly drawings, but, but writing a few words helps. That, that's, that's what at least helps me is, is writing a few words like, Oh, you know, the client said this and this. And then I woke up in the morning and said, well, he said this, this, and this, but there's also this other thing. And that gave me the idea to draw this. And they want to know what that other thing is. It's like, well, wait, what did you think of? How did that, how did you get to this image from what I told you? And they kind of want to understand the creative process, you know? Yeah, being able to document that process is super important. I know, and there's, there's, it's also a good way to like, uh, I love notebooks. They, so I yeah. use like the notes app on my phone constantly. I've got folders galore and notes galore in there. And then I have two different notebooks that I keep in my backpack at all times. Yes. Good for you. One that's more like personal, like, you know, scribble. I don't worry about like making it look good. And then like, my client notebook where everything's a little bit more like uh, clean looking. Yes. And it definitely like, I don't even consider myself that much of a, I'm a visual person, but I can't like pin the paper stuff. Like I, I can't sketch very well. Right. But it's still just writing, you know, the, the basic notes down and like re reiterating what the notes are to myself helps a ton. Yes, exactly. I, I think no matter how you journal, um, in my notes to myself about suggesting journaling as a way to be inspired, what I wrote was, you know, it doesn't matter if you're writing, taking pictures with your phone, making voice recordings, uh, doing little videos, but it's for you. It's for yourself. Um, yeah. And so what you do, carry notebooks around, that's exactly I do exactly the same. I only carry one notebook generally, but I have so many <laughs> notebooks. I'm, I'm just, just swiveling just a few degrees in my chair. I, I see three notebooks on my desk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
one of them is graph paper, one of them is a sketch pad, and one of them is just a ruled notebook. So yeah, I'm constantly surrounded by notebooks. I've, I've cups full of pens and pencils, like on every single table I own. So yeah. And um, yeah, we're never far from, from writing instruments. It helps that my daughter also likes to draw and paint. So she's has her pens and stuff scattered all over the house too. Um, there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, actually doing that for yourself and, and keeping a log. And even if you even if you can't draw, but journaling in any format, I think is a great is a great tool for inspiration. I'm a big fan. Yeah, I'm looking at my desk. I've got two two notebooks, a bigger notepad. Um, post-it notes, and then a cup of pens and pencils and markers and everything else. There you go. Like I literally have paper on the walls of things I've got to do and just like a little bit of everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I tell artists, you know, embrace that chaos. You know, that, that is somehow feeding you, that, you know, surrounding exactly. yourself with pads and sketches. And, you know, there's, there's just no limit to, to the output we can produce. So... I, I, I encourage more output. I noticed another thing on the list that you mentioned was morning routines. What's your morning routine like? And kind of, I guess let's talk about that. So I love morning routines. And when I was working in the corporate world, of course I had a morning routine because I had to get up and commute and go to work. And then when I when I left the corporate world and resumed working for myself, I struggled to, to find a routine and I actually got some help. I got some coaching and the idea of a morning routine became really attractive. I said, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, maybe I can just manage my time better. So it started as a tool for time management to just sort of give myself the self-discipline to, you know, get up every day, have breakfast at a certain time, you know, get to your desk by a certain time and begin working by a certain time. But it turns out that my morning routine has also helped me with inspiration. So my morning routine is I wake up at 5.30, I get out of bed um, and get up and dressed between 6 and 6.30. I then will have breakfast and I'll get to my desk between 7.30 and 8.30 at the latest. And by getting up early, especially in those couple of hours before most people have started working, before nine o'clock, so let's say from seven to nine, I'm able to sit and just do whatever it is that I'm inspired to do. And there have been some times when I've even just gotten out of bed and said, wow, what a great idea I just had waking up. Let me go and journal that or let me go and sketch that. So getting up early Ahead of the rest, and this is, by the way, is ahead of the rest of my family. So, you know, we're a family of four. I have two kids. I have my wife. And I get up first. And that quiet time has really helped me with inspiration. It's really helped me, you know, knock out a design for someone or a preliminary sketch or finish something up. Um, it's also a great time to look back at work that you did the day before. Because after a good night's sleep, and again, having a morning routine, me, to have a, a good morning routine, you should also have a good evening routine and go to bed at the same time every day, right? So, I, and I do do that. Uh, so I'm in bed. Yeah, you struggle with it. So you really have to 
you really have to discipline yourself and say, okay, you know, 9.30 is when I do sort of my final planning for the next day and I start winding down. At 9.30 p.m., it sounds early, but at 9.30 p.m. I'm winding down. By 10.30, I'm, I'm asleep. Okay. I mean, if you're waking up at 5.30, that makes sense too. Yeah, exactly. And I'm waking up at 5.30 every day. Um, and some days I, I wake up even a little bit earlier, especially if I'm dealing with my UK clients. Um, you know, sometimes they want to meet at five in the morning because it's, it's, you know, it's 10 AM in, in London. Yeah. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, yeah. And, and that's fine. Like I said, I, I, you know, uh, I'm used to that having had clients overseas for, for a long, long time, but I'm up at five, you know, so I'm, I'm sleeping by 10 30. I'm up at five 30 and I'll give you the perfect example. Just this morning, I was working on a new business card design for a client. Um, and I came back to it this morning and said, oh, wait a minute. I should have done something different with the colors than I did. Because I, I, I took a look at it, have, not having looked at it, you know, for at least 12 hours, right? Because I do, I, and the rest of my day is pretty structured. I mean, I, I knock off work, quote unquote, by by 4.30. At 4.30 in the afternoon is when I walk my dog. So I get my daily exercise, my daily walk. I walk with my dog. Um, and, you know, and we're having dinner by 5.30 or 6, so not too late. And that gives us the evening to, you know, veg out and unwind. But, um, but yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't looked at the business card design since the day before, and I said, oh, wait, this is not right. The, the, these colors have to be changed. And, and I did that, and, and the client, you know, she was, she was much happier with what I did this morning. Um, and I, did, I, showed her, I showed her the design the day before, yesterday, you know, yesterday. I showed her the design yesterday, but she said, oh, oh this is okay. I'm not sure about the colors. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll take a, you know, we'll, we'll revisit this tomorrow. And then I walked in and go, oh, wait, I, I, I know what you meant. Yeah. Um, I messed that up. I should have done a different, a different color scheme for the cards. It's amazing what fresh eyes can do with the design. Yeah, exactly. So, so a good night's sleep and having that root, that morning routine helps with inspiration. It helps give you that fresh perspective. And to me more, this has happened a lot ever since I implemented this routine. Um, only in the last few months. Um, and I, and again, I had, I had help from a coach. So Full disclosure, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of coaching, of course, because I'm a coach. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, implementing this routine, I found that numerous times I've woken up with like an insight or an idea and, and I just get to scribbling and sketching. And, um, and I, I usually do have one of my tablets or, or notepad next to my bed so that I'm able to sort of jot down these ideas uh, first thing in the morning. I also noticed another thing you mentioned, not just with your morning routine, but also, you know, you finish working at 4.30 and then you kind of take the whole night off. Uh, right. I mentioned in the last inspiration episode, Joey Cafone, Cafone, something like that, uh, mini vacations. And that's been something that's definitely helped me a lot too, is like, I don't need that, you know, week long vacation to kind of, reset myself because when I, when I leave my office, when I stop working, I just end it. Like I, I give myself that like freedom to not worry about it. And that also helps a ton, I think with being inspired and like not getting burnt out. 
kudos to Joey for teaching that. Kudos to you for implementing it because the, the coach that I used who taught me about, um, she's a time management coach and she helped me really, you know, as my business was taking off, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're dealing with chaos, right? You're getting a lot of clients. It, you're starting to get overwhelmed with work and you feel like you're on the go all the time. And it turns out there's a very common problem for what's called emerging businesses, you know, businesses that have, that are starting to take off. Um, and she said, look, Ari, it's really my, my coach. She said, look, it's really important that you deliberately and intentionally set time for yourself. Time where you're not working. She said, that's the first step in managing your time. Well, is to make a clear bright distinction between now I'm working now I'm not working. And that's helped me a lot. And I mentioned that I end my day at 4.30, but sometimes, you know, we're done with dinner and everything by 6.30. And I'll say, you know what? I have an hour. I'm going to go and put in an hour of work. So sometimes between 7 and 8, I'll put in one extra, I'll put in that little bit of overtime, you know, an extra yeah. hour, you know. And remember, I'm not working from 5.30 in the morning till 4.30 because, you know, 5.30 I'm getting up. I may be putting in a little bit of preliminary work, you know, that. I'll just do that initial journaling and that planning for the day, but then I'm having breakfast and so on, you know, on school days, you know, my daughter leaves for school at seven, my son leaves for school at eight. So like I said, between seven and sometime between seven and eight, I'll get to my desk. Um, but yeah, you know, eight, eight to four thirty or eight thirty to four thirty has been working really well for me. And again, having that bright line distinction of when you're working and when you're not, which is what you're doing. That's a great, great tool. So I'm a big fan of, of that approach. Uh, do you work from home or do you have an office, like a uh, separate office that you go to? So my office is in my home, but it is completely separate from the rest of my house. It's, it's a separate floor. Um, this floor is, is mine and mine alone. So it's an IRS compliant office space with, you know, a door that closes. Um, nobody comes up here. Nobody disturbs me while I'm working. The pets are not allowed up here ever. Um, so I have my desk. I have, um, part, the other part of my part of this floor is my photography studio. So I have my photo equipment, you know, backdrops, lighting and so on. Um, and it's just an office. So it's a space that's dedicated just to work. Okay. Um, it's still my space. So I've got my, you know, my yeah. Star Wars Lego models on the shelves, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just decoration. Yeah. When I graduated, one of the big things that I did was I got a, uh, a separate office space because yes. I just like having that place to go to in the morning helps me so much more with like being productive and staying yes. up kind of. Yes, it, it will. Exactly. It will help you a lot. Um, I, I, I rarely ever bring food up here. I will bring a bottle of water, but again, it's, this is a space for work and having that space, even if it's just a room in your house, even if it's just a desk, but one that is just for work that helps you make that clear, bright distinction between, okay, now I'm working now I'm not. Now, again, easier said than done, right? We have our computers and the computers themselves can be a distraction. So, and that's where mindfulness comes in. Being mindful of what is it that I'm doing at this moment? Or, you know, 
if I'm setting aside an hour to do something, am I fully focused during that hour on doing something? And that's what I meant earlier about saying, you know, set that intention. That's really part of mindfulness is being very intentional and noticing. Those are really the two components of, of the mindfulness tip for, for inspiration is, well, pay attention to whether you're doing something just to veg out. Like, you know, I'll, you mentioned Reddit and uh, you, when you and Cody were talking about inspiration in that episode, you mentioned Reddit. And yeah, I, you know, I, I, I browse Reddit, but most of the time I'm doing it just to completely veg out and just to have something else to entertain me. You know, it's for entertainment, not so much for inspiration. Um, but you also mentioned Twitter and I love Twitter. I, I follow a lot of photographers on Twitter, right? And Instagram, I also use a little more for actual inspiration because I follow lettering artists and I follow graphic artists and photographers on Instagram. So, so yeah. So if you're, if you're intentional about it, I think it's a little bit easier to become inspired because you say, okay, now I'm reading Reddit, but really just because it's fun versus, you know, now, now I want to be inspired. Yeah. You definitely have to make that distinction. There's cause I, I use Reddit a lot for just like vegging out and, but I do have like the separate subreddits for the inspiration, but most of the time, if I'm looking for inspiration, I usually do it from my desktop too. You know, when I'm right. sitting down at the desk versus like, I don't usually get inspired on any app on my phone. I try to stay away from my phone cause it kind of helps, uh, uh, stay focused essentially. Yes. Yes. That sentence, but. No, I agree with that. My, my time management coach, who's a, a, you know, a PhD research psychologist explained that, you know, our phones and the social media tools that we use, what they're doing is really rewarding us with new little things every, every moment. And that's what creates that sort of addiction, right? That's what keeps us on Facebook for, for as long as, as people are on Facebook, right? The, you know, the, the engagement rate with a, a tool like Facebook is very high because you can just scroll through and constantly, you know, be delighted by something new. Oh, look what my friend did. Oh, look at that photo. Oh, look at that. And that there's actually a little reward mechanism operating in the background that, that rewards is like, Oh, look, here's something new. Oh, you know, scroll further to do that again. <laughs> so you're looking not so much for inspiration. You're looking for that kind of like, Ooh, you know, that, you know, you're looking to be delighted. <laughs> so, yeah, so noticing that, becoming mindful and, and paying attention to that, that can help you. You know, that can help you fight that. Say, actually, I want to be inspired. I want to look for something inspiring. And then maybe instead of just browsing Reddit, you're actually doing a search or you're actually diving into one. A like you suggested just now, you're diving into a specific subreddit. Um, and maybe even you're looking to sort of exercise your own creative muscles. So you look to contribute, you know, like I look on the Adobe Illustrator subreddit for people asking questions that I can answer saying, yeah. Oh, how do I do this? And I go, Oh yeah, I know how to do that here. <laughs> right. Um, so, so yeah, that's, I think as long as you're intentional, as long as you're just sort of not doing it mindlessly, it's, uh, it's healthier to do it mindfully to, to be yeah. attentive to what you're doing and why, what's your motivation? Are you, do you just want to veg out? Cause I think it's perfectly fine to veg out. You know, at the end of the day, you've got a, you can entertain yourself a little bit. You know, I, I watch a baseball game every now and again. I, uh, you know, 
right? Do something yeah. like that. Be on all the time. Exactly. Exactly. I think you and I are in agreement about that. So um, right. I'm very happy you brought it up, and I'm very happy you brought up the mini vacations because that's a, that's exactly spot on. And I hope other creators um, are inspired to give themselves a break and say, you know, it's okay. It's okay to set time for yourself. You know, I have this on good authority from a prominent, you know, research psychologist who's one of the best coaches in her field. Yeah. That, yes, you're supposed to take time off for yourself. It's okay. It's actually better for you. Uh, you've mentioned mindfulness a few times. Do you meditate? So I do not meditate nearly as much as I need to. But yes, part of my morning routine is a little bit of meditation, and it's just a few minutes. And it's literally just sitting. I, I sit with, with, um, with my legs on the floor, with my feet, sorry, on the floor. So I sit in a chair, but I sit with, my, with both feet on the floor, so my legs are not crossed or not on the chair, they're actually on the floor. And I sit with my palms up on my knees and just close my eyes and start paying attention from the ground up. Like, do I feel my feet? And do I feel my knees? And do I feel my, you know, my, my hands resting on my knees? And do I feel my thighs and my elbows and my torso and my neck and my head? And let me relax each of those muscles in turn. And I go through that little exercise and I guess it is meditation because when you're just paying attention to being in the moment, I listen to what sounds I'm hearing. You know, they might be sounds from the outside. Often I'm doing this in the morning, so I'm hearing all kinds of birds and saying, ooh, what, what bird did I just hear, <laughs> right? Um, and yeah, it's, it's relaxing, it's rewarding, it's, it's a great way to focus yourself. One of the people who's been coaching me on meditation and mindfulness said that he's he's trying to introduce more people to meditation and the problem he hears very often is well i don't have time to meditate and his answer to that is if you don't have time to meditate you need to meditate more <laughs> <laughs> so i was like oh <laughs> you know and i love it when i love it when people like that give me that sort of cryptic kind of almost spiritual sounding advice i'm like wait what did he mean that I'm not sure that made sense, but let me think about that. So I was like, well, okay, let me just start by meditating and I'll think about what he said. It's like, oh yeah, meditation's good. So yes, I, I meditate. Um, it's, it's a great part of a morning routine. I, I, I read The Miracle Morning and I, I really just like that book. So if you want to learn about a great, if you want to be given a framework for a morning routine that's really powerful and can really jumpstart your day, uh, I can recommend The Miracle Morning. It was kind of inspiring. Okay. Yeah, I've got uh, – I follow a blog called My Morning Routine, and it's just mymorningroutine.com. Nice. They talk to a bunch of, uh, you know, successful people and kind of figure out what they're doing in the morning. And they yes. also have a really cool feature where you can, like, they have the different categories for, say, like, early risers or, you know, night owls, like the different kind of segments to show that you can kind of, it's not about having, like, you know, I got to wake up at 530 if I want to be successful, but finding what works best for you. Yes, exactly. That's the thing is no, no one system is right for every single person. So settling on the routine that works for you is, is really important. And that's part of mindfulness. Mindfulness just means, you know, be attentive. So, you know, try something, but if it doesn't feel right, 
try something else or modify it, adjust it. You know, um, I've developed a healthy, good habit of drinking water in the morning. And I thank a, a little app that I found that's, that suggested that. It's like, oh, why don't you do this in the morning? I'm like, uh, okay. And then I set it to <laughs> remind me. And, you know, and I wake up at 5.30 and then this thing goes off at 6. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because, you know, I, I might forget. I might, I might get all inspired and start scribbling and journaling. And then, um, you know, and, and then all of a sudden the app goes off and says, oh, that's right. I have to slow down and drink some water and do my little meditation and, so those little things are really helpful yeah. prompts and reminders. But, but I, I completely agree with you. You have to, I think that's really the hard part is finding what works for you and being reassured that it's okay to try different systems and discover that they don't work for you because someday you will find a routine that works for you and that takes time and we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves when, a certain routine recommended by a certain guru who sold a million books and didn't work for us. It's like, okay, so it worked for a million people. That's, that's still just a tiny fraction of the world population. Yeah. <laughs> We're all different. Yeah. So. Meditation. I've, I've got ADHD. So mm -hmm. I kind of, I've always struggled with meditation and I've never really, and part of it's because like, I just can't stay focused on myself. Right. So, but I've kind of gotten away from meditation and go more for uh, camping, like going nice. outside kind of to ground, like, because essentially meditation is like to ground yourself is what yes. I, like, I hear a lot. It's so like grounding myself in nature has been a thing that I've used a lot. I'm a big fan of that. I, I kind of lose myself when I, when I take my bicycle out. So I, I you know, I'm, I've been a bicyclist for, well, forever. <laughs> Since I'm a kid. Uh, I used to ride several miles to school to starting in, in fifth grade. And I never really stopped bicycling. And um, yeah, you know, I lose myself. And that's definitely a meditative state. You, you can do that. If you can just kind of lose yourself and just enjoy the And I, you know, I ride off road. So I'm not, you know, I'm not endangering myself or anybody in traffic when I'm describing yeah. my, you know, I have, I have a nice. I never thought about that. I, I used to ride a lot too, uh, in like high school. Yeah. I would go on my trail and be like three miles to the end of the trail and then I'd ride three miles back. And sometimes I do that like three times in one day. Yeah. No, that, that's absolutely um, fine. Yeah. It's just like, I didn't think about that, but looking back now, I can see where you just kind of zone out and start thinking about the other things and kind of moving into a different direction because your body's still focused on that one activity. Yes, exactly. You know, I, I like the stillness exercise, but I also love hopping on my bike and just, you know, flying through the wind. I, I you know, I love that feeling and it's a different kind of way to ground yourself. And I, I completely agree with you that that's just like what you said before. I think you just gave a perfect illustration of how we each need to find our own way to meditate, to calm our minds um, and to be inspired. And, you know, that's, you also touched upon, you know, the, uh, another technique that I use, which is just to get outside, you know, get outside and, and, you know, and leave the smartphone behind or turn it to do not disturb and just, you know, enjoy some fresh air, enjoy, and whether you're in an urban or country setting, I think you can get outside and just enjoy your surroundings and, you know, ignore the phone for a bit. Right. Take, take a little, yeah. a, a mini digital fast and say, you know what? 
the next hour is for me. I'm going to sit in this park or I'm going to sit in this cafe uh, and just people watch or, or sketch in my notebook or whatever it is that you do. And it's perfectly okay to do that in a Starbucks, you know, whatever, you know, whatever inspires you, I think, whatever, whatever moves you. I do so, a lot of reading in Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I catch up on, you know, I, I usually have a book in my bag, but I also, I also keep succumbing to Amazon's, you know, oh, here's, here's $2 to buy a digital book. And <laughs> I keep buying digital books. <laughs> yeah, so I have, but I have a Kindle. And again, having a dedicated device that's just for reading, I think is really helpful. Not that I don't have enough digital devices, but actually having one, you know, that's not beeping at me because someone's, you know, texting me on, on Messenger or WhatsApp or, or you know, yeah. is, is kind of nice, right? It's like, oh, all I can do is read and it's, and it's in black and white. So I'm just reading the text, you know. Um, yeah, I'm reading a book on typography right now on my Kindle. So, yeah, why not? What book are you reading? Um, I think it's the elements of typographic style, which is a real basic fundamental book that I think everybody should read. Uh, yeah. So the elements typographic style. Um, I think I read that for school. Yeah. A, a lot of people read it for school. I did not read it for school. I don't remember what, what, Oh yeah. I remember some of the typography or, or type, you know, lettering related books I read uh, for school. They're, you know, stuff by Jan Chickold and, Origin of the Seraph and, you know, Arigi Zoparina, you know, those were, those were the books that, that we were reading more, you know, a lot of calligraphy um, books and Edward Johnston, of course, writing, lettering and illuminating. So, yeah, but uh, no, I'd never, I'd never read this book. So, um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really good to just remind yourself of the basics, right? Refresh yourself on the, you know, so much of this. It's like, yes, I know what letting and kerning and tracking and all that stuff is. And, but nevertheless, you read it, you read it when it's well-written, it's written by, you know, the masters, the people who are teaching, you know, so many of us the, the right way to, to deal with type and the right way to lay things out and how to differentiate between, you know, modern and transitional and, and, and all those different typefaces. And it's, like I said, it's, it's something I try to do as a, as a regular part of my routine is to um, have something to study, have something to, whether it's something that I already know and I'm just refreshing my understanding or it's something new. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, whenever it's something, like if you watch a video of something you know, there's always those little things that you can catch on to that, you know, maybe you know the basics of Illustrator, but then somebody can teach you a different way. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I watched a video the other day with, you know, here are six Illustrator tips that not a lot of people know and I said, okay, let me see how many of these I know. And I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> I only knew three of those. And those other two, I, I, I totally, I either didn't know or forgot or whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, and it's fun, right? And, and with, with videos, it's easy because you, you just, okay, let me skip 10 seconds because I don't need this. It's like, yeah, I knew that one. Um, but then it's like, oh, these two tips, it's like, those are good tips. Cool. So, yeah. Or books too, I mean. I watch a lot of videos just because it's, it's easy to kind of put them on and let them autoplay. Yes. But I've also definitely, like, I've read a lot of books over basic topics. And even, like, if you have a, you know, a decent-sized book on a basic topic, there's going to be information you don't know. Exactly. Exactly. Not only that, but, um, you know, there are so many beautifully printed books with art in them that, you know, that, you know, 
are, are very expensive, frankly, right? If you were to buy a hard copy, they're very expensive. And if you're going to buy a digital copy, you're not really going to get the full experience of, you know, the beautifully printed plates. And so that's why libraries are, you know, that's a, another tip I have for, for getting inspired is don't just limit yourself to the books that you can buy um, and the books that you can get digitally. Because if you go to your library, you'll find some amazing volumes. And um, you also might find things that are hard to find because they've not been digitized or they're not that easy to find. For example, right now I'm doing some research for a client into um, typography and ornamentation from the turn of the century, around 1910. So, you know, we can all go to heritagetype.com and look at his fonts and his ornaments that he sells. And, you know, he's doing a great job. And, hey, that's, you know, it's a big... That's a big thing now with hipsters, the big, you know, revival in, in these old style um, typefaces, but actually trying to get to, you know, to find good examples, you know, good books that were written at the time, you know, go to your library and your librarian is going to help you out saying, well, I'm looking for books that feature, you know, advertising from that period. What, what do you suggest? Are there publications? And maybe she'll even send you over to the microfiche archives and you look at microfilm or microfiche which are, you know, just old scans of old newspapers. This is stuff that nobody has digitized yet. Or, or you know, maybe Google has, but, you know, good luck finding it. <laughs> so, right? So, yeah, like, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of going to your library and, and, you know, letting the librarians help you research something obscure. And you can find all kinds of inspirations and all kinds of stuff that's, you can find things that are out of print, you know, that were not that, not that popular or successful, um, because they were so niche. So, you know, they're books that are out of print and that, oh yeah, well you can buy this, you know, a, you, you can buy a used copy from Amazon for 80 bucks. And I'm like, wait, that's, that's insane. I'm, I'm not going to do that. It's one project. <laughs> it's like, yeah. well, duh, go to your library. Maybe your library has it. <laughs> you know? And you know, libraries, you know, libraries lend to each other. Say, okay, you don't have it, but is there a library in your network that has it? And they're like, oh, yeah. And they, they do something called the interlibrary loan, an interlibrary loan. So they'll get it for you. It's like, they'll, they'll get it for you. How cool is that? <laughs> and it's free. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, man, go to the library. <laughs> yeah, definitely. When I got into photography, I remember I wanted to study, you know, photographs. And you can go through Instagram and see all the photographs you want. But it, I wanted I had, there were two books at the library by uh, Amy Leibovitz. Yes. The big photo books. And they're like $200, $300 books if you want yes, to buy them. And exactly. I was like 13 or 14. So I, I, I kept them checked out pretty much all summer and just like studied every single photo in those books. I, I love that story, Chris, because you know that Annie supervised the production of those books. So she made sure that her photo, you know, she's important enough and influential enough, you know, to have directed the production of those books, right? She worked with the publishers and worked on selecting the papers and on the layout of the book. And yes, there was a graphic designer involved. And yes, there was someone doing typography involved in book design. And, you know, and the binders and all the other parties that, that have to cooperate to produce a book. But she was able to direct it. So you know that seeing that actual volume, you're seeing the photos in a way that she would want you to see them. And that's how you're going to get the most out of them. So they can be reproduced digitally. And you don't know where that digital reproduction came from. If someone just 
took a picture with their phone of a picture of someone else's picture and you just don't know how many generations it is removed from the original but when you go to the library you're getting closer to the original especially if it's an important book from an important artist uh, who had a hand in the production of the book so yeah i i applaud you for doing that that's that's just another reason to to use this tip right get to the library and, and find some amazing stuff well, and there's not even just books at libraries anymore. I know a lot of local libraries are doing, you know, they're doing 3D printing yes. or uh, sub-die printers. Like they've got a bunch of other like uh, printing things and, you know, even tech things that they'll get in and you can use, you know, for a little bit of training or whatever. That's right. Li libraries are, are embracing the digital age um, they often have places where you can go and work quietly and pull out a laptop and 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 use the Wi-Fi and um, It's a good change of scene and They want to help with all forms of information delivery whether it's 3d 2d You know on on discs on film Whatever it is, you know, your 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 really good libraries uh, they can help you a lot with with access to all of that. Yes, they can. Um, so just to kind of go back over everything, the five tips that you had for inspiration and being inspired away from, you know, away from the screen essentially. Yes, away from our digital distractions. Yeah. Uh, my yeah, so so my number one tip is is um, you know have a morning routine, right? Have a morning routine. It it sort of sets you up for success throughout the day. And and if you're fortunate enough to get up ahead of everyone else, you have amazing quiet time to yourself, an amazing light in which to go out and and do the next thing, which is meditate and and you know spend a few moments being being mindful and being intentional about your day. Um, Part of that can be journaling. Uh, that's my third tip. So morning routine, mindfulness, and journaling in any format, whether you want to write, whether you want to go out and take some pictures in your garden, um, whether you want to go out and record some audio, record some video. But journaling is, is wonderful. And since you're getting outside, you're following the fourth tip, which is get outside. <laughs> uh, I like what you do, Chris. I like, I like camping. I I only get to camp a couple of times a year, I, um, but yeah, I, lo I love it when I do it, and I love sleeping under under a beautiful starry sky, and that can really inspire you. Yeah, I don't get to camp um, as much as I used to. Yeah, it's right. We have, we have to make time for all these things, but it can be really inspiring and just to, as a change of scene. And of course, uh, when the weather's bad, uh, it might be ill-advised to camp, so uh, visit your local library. That's a great way to break the cabin fever get out there and, and also find material that you just would not have access to cheaply or easily otherwise. Um, your libraries are, are treasure troves of, of inspiration. So yeah, those, those are my five, my five techniques. Uh, and I, I, hope, I hope our audience enjoys these and you know, would, would love to hear from people what they thought. Yeah, we'd uh, definitely love to hear from other people and hear their, uh, ideas they can you know comment on our instagrams uh where can people find you 
Well, they can find me at rew.com. That's A-R-I-W.com. And then what's your Instagram? My Instagram is R-E-W. It's spelled A-R-I-D-U-B-L-Y-U. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I couldn't get the A-R-I-W. <laughs> By the time I joined Instagram, it was too late. But, uh, yes, I'm R-E-W, so A-R-I-D-U-B-L-Y-U on Instagram and on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you very much for being on uh, CreatorCast. Uh, I absolutely loved it. We had a great time. You had some amazing techniques to share. Uh, thank you again. My pleasure, Chris. Keep up the good work, you and Cody. I love CreatorCast. Thanks for having me. <laughs> thank you. And...